Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. My name is Ryan, one of the pastors here at Sunrise Community Church. Welcome. Glad you're with us. We are beginning a new series of messages this morning, You, Me, and Peace, How to Put Your Relationships Back in to One Piece. Let's pray to begin this morning as we start this new series. Father, knowing your psalm, Psalm 88, the psalmist laments one point that darkness is my closest friend. And Father, we acknowledge that no one wants to feel alone, and yet together we realized that there are flawed people like us, and they can equally seem problematic and painful, Lord, when we get into relationships. And so we ask, Father, that you would teach us over the next weeks and months to be a good friend and to be a good member of your family by working through problems and pain with the gospel, which is powerful. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of my top five movies that exceeded my expectations, that exceeded my expectations, you know what I mean? You don't think much of it, but then it just sort of blows your mind. Doesn't mean it's one of my favorite movies, I want to make that clear. All right, I got a reputation. Uh, I remember some university friends of mine asking me if I wanted to go see this new movie, uh, The Matrix. And when I asked them, uh, you know, what's this movie about? And they said, you know, computer virtual reality stuff. You know, it sort of lowered the bar of expectations. I'm like, oh man, that sounds awful like floppy disks. Is that what you mean? That's how old I am. So uh, I said, no. And then I asked, okay, so who is in this movie? And they said, Keanu Reeves. And the bar went quite low, like subterranean low. (laughs) But it actually turned out to be quite fantastic. And one of my favorite lines from The Matrix is near the end of the film where where Neo, the main character, he's injured on these subway tracks. And he's in this fight and he gets hurt. He's he's injured on the subway tracks. And you hear a train in the distance when the computer-generated Agent Smith says to Neo, you hear that, Mr. Anderson? That is the sound of inevitability. And I bring this up to say this morning, if you are a person with a heartbeat and daily required to use their voice or listen to real human beings use theirs, that voice is the sound of inevitability. Where there are voices to use, and voices to be listened to, there are relationships. And where there are relationships, there exists inevitable conflict. And so the title of this morning's message is, that is the sound of inevitability. You, me, and conflict. And when I say conflict, you know, some of you might think, well, you know, name calling, you know, subtle, subtly maneuvered office revenge tactics, or maybe just lobbying tersely worded emails back and forth. But conflict pops up much more than just those instances. It can be just a slight offense that subtly but surely colors your perspective about another person. You know what I mean? Just that little offense. Or it might occur when words are not spoken. It may have happened to you. 
Maybe it's a failure to check in with a friend or a loved one when you know they had to have a hard conversation at work. Or you know they just celebrated a huge milestone and you just forgot to check in. Or maybe you checked in, but you checked in with an email instead of a phone call. Right? And that kind of offended someone. Or maybe you checked in with a phone call and not a face-to-face breakfast or a pop by the apartment kind of thing. And so in, in just little ways, conflict can enter into relationships without even the other person knowing it. So conflict is really any barrier erected in a relationship that one or both parties simply can't get over. They can't get over it. When people say that, they mean they can't get over that barrier. So my goal this morning is pretty simple. Why should you care about this? Why should you care about resolving conflict? Why should it matter to you to learn God's strategy for putting relationships back into one piece? Well, number one, you are defined relationally. And number two, God defines himself relationally. And finally, we're going to talk about how no one wants Sunrise to become a homicidal church. All right, so I'm going to start with the first one here. You are defined relationally. Therefore, if your relationships remain broken, then you inevitably will remain broken. Has anyone ever been told something that ends with the moral, be who you are and don't let anyone influence you? Ever been told something that ends with that moral? Raise your hand. Be who who you are. Don't let anyone affect you. Be your own person. Right? We hear this uh, high school assemblies. Maybe uh, it's the moral to every other Disney movie, right, that you watch. It's uh, what you tell yourself maybe in the mirror right before casual Friday start as you begin to dress yourself. Come on, Dave. You can wear that Hawaiian shirt. Be who you are. <laughs> right? In the 1990s, uh, the NBC network ran a series of public service announcement commercials that just said, the more you know. Remember this? There you go, thank you. And so, and they featured B-list celebrities, all right, like, like Blair Underwood, maybe an occasional Helen Hunt appearance, all right? Uh, and they were talking about things like the dangers of, of STDs and the importance of school teachers. I mean, really a wide range of things they would cover. And I vividly recall they had one that said, I could, tried to look for this online, I couldn't find it. You are your own person. Don't let others influence that. Lies. You should. You should question the assumption that you, even if you are a strong, independent, self-made man or woman, rawr, right? You should question the assumption that you can simply be who you are and not let others influence you. In fact, I'm going to try to persuade you that most of our identity, who we are, our personality, is shaped by relationships with other people, with our activities, careers, passions, objects of our affection. Sure, there are characteristics we're simply born with. We talk about them all the time. Parents say, oh, that's from you, honey. That's where you got that, or, you know, that sort of thing. But most of our personality is shaped by forces outside of us in our relationship to them. All right, so how do we know this? First, we know this experientially. We know this also because the Bible tells me so. So from experience, we know this. For example, men, our sense of humor 
is very much defined relationally. All right, the truth is that very little of our humor is original. Sorry, and uh, by the way, I've, I've just figured this out that, that women have stumbled onto this, all right? Uh, they know this is the case. It's very, very rarely just ourselves, but a combination of phrases, stories, mannerisms from friends, movies, websites, strange male road trips, and things of that nature that have become part of who I am. So, for instance, I saw my friend Simon Thomas wearing a t-shirt last week that said, uh, When in Rome. On it, and it was not a souvenir from a trip with Karen, his wife, to Southern Europe, but it actually was a humorous reference to a Will Ferrell movie, When in Rome. And some of you might know this. And rather than merely enjoy that reference, ha ha ha, in conversation, you know, Simon paid probably thirteen ninety nine plus shipping and handling to share it with the world, right? And to, it defined his person for an afternoon as he interacted with people, and men like to do this. A little different for late ladies. Ladies would never probably buy a movie reference t-shirt. Am I right, ladies? I mean, uh, I don't see steel magnolias, you know, going around anywhere. Or the help, you know. All right, so the way, <laughs> yeah, so it tends to be, I've got to be careful here, though, the way others relate to you, whether your parents, your spouse, a good friend, typically goes a long way in terms of how you then relate to others. So when I was a kid, I remember my older sister would get off the phone with a friend who happened to be treating her like garbage, and how do you think she treated me when she hung up that dial? When someone's made you feel insecure, right, you typically might be insecure with others, or at least a temptation to be. But when someone else has equally made you feel special, uh, ladies, you're typically phenomenal at passing that love on to others, right? Where men, we typically just say, you know, thanks and delete the email, move on, you know, with our day. So experientially, we know that relationships tend to define us, but also the Bible tells us this, that when you trust your life to Jesus Christ, God assigns you names, right? And these names are very much relational names. Very intensely, for instance, you become a child, a son or a daughter to a father. When you trust your life to Christ, you become a bride to a bridegroom. You become a servant to a master. You become heirs to a king. And over time, we begin to grow into our definition. So you become more a son. You become more like a servant, more, more like an heir. The church becomes more like a bride until who we are becomes fully realized when we go to be with Jesus in heaven. You become more the definition of who you are as you live your life with Christ. And here's the point. The question then is not, you know, will the people I hang out with, will the stuff I sweat over, will the activities I engage in define me? It's not the question. Rather, it's which relationships will I allow to most define me? That's really the question we're left with. You should care about relational peace because... If the defining relationships in your life remain broken, you will remain broken. That's the first reason. The second reason why we should care 
about relational peace is that God himself defines, defines himself relationally. Therefore, if you desire to grow in godliness, you must also grow relationships. You can't avoid them. You can't get out of them because God himself is relational. So if you're a person here this morning, man, I care about Jesus, you've got to care about the whole relationship of who God is. The reality, though, is that many Christians feel they are better off going alone. Just me and JC. Right? In part, they feel this way because, you probably feel this way at some point, because of relational conflict, the dangers involved in relationships and getting hurt. But when God does big things, he prefers a team effort. His team is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, also known as the Trinity. Right? Usually it's the Father has the blueprints and the, the Son does the work and the Holy Spirit empowers the Son to do this work and the activity behind it. And it all kind of glows to glorify the Son who gives glory back to the Father. And the Holy Spirit does things in our lives to point us to the Son and glorify Him. And there's this working relationship going on. And that's how He means our relationships to be. Now, I'm cutting this part short. I'm going to blog about it later, probably. All right. So, um, reason number three we should care about relational peace. God himself is relational. Reason number three, you don't want Sunrise to become a homicidal church. That sounds dangerous, doesn't it? All right. Let's talk about that. Jesus says in Matthew 5, it is dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. You have heard that it was said to those who are of old... You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, the prohibition of murder, the sixth commandment, is grounded in the fact that, that all of us as human beings are made in God's image. Murder damages and destroys that which resembles our holy God. So by hurting another person, you are hurting the image of God. So Jesus parallels murder with anger because anger damages, destroys a person in various degrees. Oftentimes to the point of just withering them. You do that if you... If you experience that, maybe you've met someone like that who's just, their soul, their spirit is just killed. It's just dead because of relationships, because someone has trampled them, hurt them. Multiple people, maybe from the, the beginning of their life. Jesus said that could happen here. That's why anger parallels murder. Conflict breeds anger. And anger that goes unresolved murders relationships and eventually communities and it spreads fast conflict unresolved can only end in community homicide or genocide that's what genocide is it's the wiping out of an entire ethnic national or religious group these are strong words but really i'm just mimicking the apostle paul he says it 
in a different way. In Galatians chapter 5, if you want to turn there, you can also look up on the screen. Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. The Apostle Paul says it this way, when it comes to trusting in Christ and receiving that call to trust him, you are called to freedom, brothers. When you trusted Jesus, he released you to this life of freedom where you are no longer, your judgment with God is no longer determined by following a set of rules and doing well with them, but by trusting Christ. And what Christ did is credited to you. And so you're free, free from the burden of trying to eternally try to please God by what what you do. You're called to freedom, brothers, only do not use that freedom as an opportunity to serve yourselves for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one phrase or word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you fight and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I want to explain this last verse a little bit more. Because it's interesting, right? He goes from just biting to devouring. There's a little nibble all the way to devouring. What what happened to the just, you know, casual eating? When God calls you to ministry, like he has has called me, uh, you go through seasons where you rarely see brand name foods. All right, it's just the the sacrifice we make as pastors. So for instance, uh, that's why my salsa is always accompanied by Juanita tortilla chips. If you go to Costco, you may have seen these. You get options. We get Juanita brand. And this stuff, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. You could stuff these chips into like a middle school time capsule, bring them out 20 years later, and they are no worse from the wear. All right, unbelievably fresh. It's almost kind of scary. I can worry. Some type of plutonium or plastics in them, but they're really tasty. But anyhow... That's fine by me, but, but I get excited when I see brand-aid items. The, when, when Katie brought home the other day a tube of Pringles chips, and she put them in Big Daddy's special snack stash. I was like, yes. But my youngest, Gage, spotted them. So they came in, he got a little glimpse, you know. So he waited for an opportune moment and asked his mom, come on, mom, just one bite. Of course, I'm pretty sure the slogan for Pringles for a while was, you can't eat just one, right? And so sure enough, the entire can was gone by nightfall. Where are these? Where's my Pringles? (laughs) Katie had to break the news to me. The judgmental thought, the brief, just even even desiring some ill coming to someone else, the passive-aggressive comment, the cheap shot disguised as a joke, or hey, I'm just being honest. Once you take a little bite, Satan grows in us an appetite to devour and consume before we even know it. Before we even recognize what's going on, we're devouring. It's interesting, when Paul says this word devour in verse 15, it's not the normal word for eat. And again, you'd think he'd go from nibbling, just a little bite, to eating, then to devour. The normal word for eat, plus this prefix, which in the Greek is kata. Kata means very or completely eat. As in catastrophe, kata. Like, you don't want a strophe in your life. That's bad. 
but a catastrophe, that's like really bad. Complete, fully. So what starts as a bite is devouring before one's even conscious of it. Right? You don't even recognize it. Like with the Pringles. Now, when I was younger, I, uh, I loved the Jurassic Park books and films. Remember these things? You know, dinosaurs and whatnot. I love these things. And I read the sequel called The Lost World. And in this, in this movie, there are these tiny little dinosaurs, these little scavengers called compies, which you're going to see behind me here. And they seemed harmless. And you'll see this man kind of treats them kind of cute. Oh, and on their own, they were harmless. Just a nibble here, a nibble there. But before you knew it, a, a feast would begin to ensue. So you think, oh, these are just little cute. You, you'll actually see him kind of knock people away. But then his feast ensues. And I debated even rolling out this kind of weird scene to show in a church. But I, I, wanted, I really wanted to burn this image into your mind of, of what happens in community when you just start with a little biting, with just a little nibble. It seems harmless, and people can just, you know, even if I just say something, that person knows I'm just kidding. That person knows that I'm normally not like that. I'm sure they'll be fine. When you start with just little comments, little comments, maybe just to try and change a person a little bit, little thoughts, little jokes, little just being honest, Little, you know, no offense is. Little, little decisions to neglect a person because they look or talk a little different than you. And so, you know, I'm not going to really associate with that. I'll just go to who I'm familiar with. Little sighs, little shrug-offs. None of these seem like much. But just like we see in that clip, notice how each little compy, each little dinosaur got, just got a little few bites in. You don't know how many bites others are taking on. How many bites that person is enduring. You don't know what's going on in their life. Similarly, you forget also when you make these kind of comments or your little shrug-offs, little ignorings, little just kiddings, little no offenses. You forget that because a person is defined relationally, what they are enduring they are also usually spreading. Right? If they're enduring being ignored, if they're enduring feeling neglected, that's what they're spreading. If they're enduring little, little comments, how easy is it to spread that? That's why, like my friend uh, Terry Pettit likes to say, hurt people hurt people. If words and feelings of conflict go unconfessed and unaddressed, the result will be nothing short of murder, church genocide. All right, so this morning, we, we have briefly addressed the person who feels that he or she can be his own, her own person or his own person and isn't affected by relationships. We've addressed the person who desires to really grow in godliness but fears relational hurt. They try to live life with this, them and JC. We've addressed that with a guy who defines himself relationally. We've addressed the person who doesn't think that, you know, dozens of, of little slights can really create conflict intention and hurt becoming the homicidal church finally i just want to briefly address the relational person the relational person who nevertheless doesn't want to go there 
just doesn't want to go there. Because I fear a Stepford church nearly as much as I do a homicidal church. You know what I mean by Stepford Church? Do you remember the Stepford Wives refers to a movie twice made in which a group of men form robot wives? <laughs> it sounds preposterous if you've never heard of it. But, but everything seems okay. So this one woman kind of comes into the mix and she's like, why are all these women always so nice and kind and all this stuff? But it's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. And churches, friends, can become like this. We all get along. It's cool. It's laid back. Become a Stepford Church. So I want to make a bold statement for some of you. Some of you who are very relational, very friendly, very kind. If you have not experienced any tension or conflict in church relationships, you have not yet experienced the fullness of depth and riches that God intends for relationships in the body of Christ. It would be like saying, you know, I, I don't want to go there with that person. I don't want to deal. I don't want to go there. It's like saying, like, yeah, my brother and I, my sister and I, we always get along. There's a reason God defines us horizontally in terms of brothers and sisters and not primarily in terms of friends. Do you notice that in the New Testament? Because families fight. Now, granted, in the church of God, we fight as God's family. We fight like God wants us to fight, but families fight. So it's not because you are just more chill, you're more easygoing, you're more magnetic, you're just kind of happy-go-lucky, you're kind of exempt. You may be all these things, but the main reason you have not experienced tension or conflict is because you are not willing to go there. Friends, we must, you've got to be willing, I want to challenge you to go there. We must start viewing conflict in the body of Christ differently. We've got to view it differently. Instead of, oh man, we had a hard conversation. Or we had a strained encounter with some tension. So I, it's probably not a good idea that he and I link up. Or she and I get together. Rather, because we had a hard conflict or tension that was reconciled through the gospel, through Jesus' forgiveness, that we ought to link up because the gospel bonds us closer. Do you see that? Where there's tension, where there's conflict, the gospel comes in and actually makes people closer. Closer than they would have been otherwise if things were just cool and chill and all good. I am closer with brothers like, like my friend Jeremy Strickland, my brother Jeremy Strickland, Sean Glidden, James Rawcliffe, because grace entered our relationship as a result of, of conflict or disagreement. And, and equally, though, I'm guilty. I know I've kept my distance from certain other people because of unreconciled tension or conflict. And I will say, I'll admit, especially so as someone who, a pastor who preaches in a church, that the preaching or teaching pastor usually feels a lot of tension or conflict, because a lot of times he says hard things from God's Word, and people often don't like it. If you are a Stepford Christian, everything's cool with pretty much everyone all the time, I want to encourage you during this series to, to consider going there with people. Over the next few months, what we're going to do, we'll first look at the four steps to peace between you and me. 
I get this primarily from Ken Sandy's wonderful uh, peacemaking ministry, uh, where he talks about the four steps to peace. So we're going to look at that first from God's Word, and then we're going to take a hard look at peace in the particulars, you know, with the opposite gender. How does it look to reconcile relationships with the other opposite gender? What's unique about that? Reconcile within our, our blood families, right? With our kids, with our parents, this sort of thing. Uh, in the workplace, and also with our culture. So that's kind of what we're going to do. A month worth of, of just looking at the four steps to peace, and then peace in the particulars. And, and, and the kinds of things we should pray and expect to see are many. Truly, we, I mean, we should expect to see people in, inviting one another out for coffee when you're concerned there's some tension or conflict. And just, just talk about it. We, we should see people coming up to one another after the service, maybe even you, and t- you say, man, you know what, I'm sorry. Or equally, I forgive you. We should see community groups being real with each other about how, how individuals are experiencing one another and experiencing tension and conflict that hasn't yet been expressed. Children's ministry volunteer gently confronting a teacher when he or she doesn't come prepared with the lesson, you know, a couple months in a row, like, Hey, man, I, I feel like we need to talk. Real, forever forgiveness that can only be expressed through the cross of Christ transforming relationships and rippling across the church to, to forge us into a community bonded together, not through niceness, but through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we ask that that would be the case. Father, over the next, I, I just really sense as a church we are ready for this move over the coming months that as we've grown as a church in breadth, help us grow in depth in relationships with one another and with you. To be real, first of all, Lord, even starting this week, be real with you. So to recognize that, yeah, we, we mess up, we sin, we rebel against the holy God, but through the cross of Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to him. What an awesome gift, freely given to us. But it came at a cost, and the cost was of Jesus. Father, help us be willing to count the cost over the next two months, to be willing to go there with people, to be willing not to run from relationships, to be willing to get in there and see relationships healed and grow closer through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.